Could you please, Alexander, come up in the front? It's been a, a great privilege of meeting Alexander and um, being a part of the few conferences where you are around and even pastor's retreat. And then the, I think the last time I was about to give up the thing called the church. <laughs> and then you spoke and you really encouraged me to get back again and do what God has called me to do. And uh, you've not just been a pastor, but you've been a father. And I really want to say to you, thank you so much for impacting the life, not for me, but for many lives as well. And I thank you for taking the time coming up here and sharing with us. So Alexander, it's been in the middle of nowhere in Jobek and in Soweto. I don't know how you managed that. I'm still scared to go to Soweto, but you managed to be there for many of your life and do what God called you. And we want to say thank you and bless you for what you've been doing. So as you just come up in front, can we just pray for you? And can you all just really stretch their hands? Lord, we thank you for Alexander. Lord, would you speak through Alexander? Lord, would be Alexander Dunpap of what we have to hear from through you, God, through Alexander? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that when we hear the word, we can be the doers of the word as well. And Lord, we leave this place not the same. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, Zerang. <clears throat> Thank you, Zelani and Pumi. Where's Pumi? Good morning, Sarepta. It's a gift, it's a privilege, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, just standing here in this place this building, the atmosphere, the worship with you, God's people, it, it brings back quite a lot of memories for me over the years. Um, Alan and, uh, uh, invited me to preach and also obviously Jonathan um, invited me to preach, Jonathan and Jane. And I saw some of you recently at the anniversary and the birthday party. Um, so it really brings back a lot of memories just being here. And I'm, I'm honored to be here. I must actually confess my sins to my pastor, Zolani, because in January, <clears throat> he contacted me and said, please, can you come and preach at Sarepta? And I said, yes, I will. And then he came back later and said, please give me some dates when you can come. And uh, I said, yes, I will. <laughs> but I, I've, I have been through a very busy period. And then uh, I've now eventually repented. And I've brought forth fruits of repentance. <laughs> I have come to be with you. So um, I really am honored to be here. And also just to say, <clears throat> I'm aware of a lot of the joy and also some of the pain of the journey of this community of God's people. 
And again, just being in the building and looking up at these stained glass windows and the facility, I just was praising God for the, the faithfulness of the service of many of you and Jonathan and Jane over the years. And I just want to honor that. I just want to really honor and salute what God has done. Jesus is the head of the church. <clears throat> Jesus is the head of this church. And he bought this church with his blood. Not the building, but the people. But I'm really, I just want to acknowledge the journey that you've been on through many years. And as I just felt the Lord to stir my heart to pray as we were worshiping for this, this church, this congregation, that God would bless you with uh, the people that he intends to send here to grow this church into all that God has planned for this church to become. Because God still has a plan and a purpose for this, this church. And it, it ain't finished yet. There's a journey to go. And uh, God is going to use you guys powerfully. And just listening briefly to Zolani beforehand, um, Stockville, nearby. I mean, when I drove in and parked at the back, a whole bunch of young people came to my car offering to carry the box and everything that they could carry. And it reminded me of my of our years in Soweto. Um, so from 1984 to 19, 1996, 12 years my wife and I were involved in Soweto in the days of apartheid and the change in, in our country, in the community or a congregation that we planted called Joweto. We renamed Johannesburg and Soweto prophetically by joining them together into Joweto. And uh, we had a lot of young people there and just coming here and being swamped with all the young people. It just reminded me of our days in Joweto. So thank you. And again, just a last word before I look at the scripture. Uh, thank you to all those who's, who are serving at the back electronically and the worship team. And Zolani and Pumi, God bless you. You are under God now leading this congregation with the eldership. And I just bless you and pray for all that God has in store, all that God's planned to flow through you for this community. Be strengthened. Take courage. Receive grace. God is with you. I, Zolani asked me to speak on um, doing church. I, I have brought some of my books there at the back on the table if you want to look at them um, after our meeting. But one of the books, in fact, the first book that I wrote was Doing Church, which came out of um, my time with John Wimber and being a vineyard pastor. I was an Assemblies of God pastor from 1975. January 1975, I was sent into the ministry as a young Assemblies of God pastor and planted a the church, and then uh, uh, I migrated from the Assemblies of God in 1981, 82, to work with John Wimber, and I had eight months with him in Southern California and in a kind of internship, and then we planted the, the Vineyard Church in Johannesburg at the end of 1982, and basically have been journeying with the Vineyard um, ever since. But when John Wimber passed away in 1997, I, I thought the best thing I could do in honor of God's gift through him to the church 
is to basically record the philosophy of ministry or the way of doing church that we embrace as vineyard around the theology of the kingdom, Jesus and his, his whole, his, his mission, his, his ministry and his message of the kingdom of God that defines church. So I wrote Doing Church as the first book after Wimber died. And um, I want to talk about that this morning, but hopefully in a fresh way and not in a kind of a, uh, an old church way. So if you want to read with me and you have your Bibles, otherwise you might want to look on your phone at your Bible, or if you don't, then listen by faith. I will read what is written here. So in Mark chapter 1, and uh, we understand church, this community of faith. We understand and define church from Jesus and the kingdom of God. And, and we go, we start with Jesus. We don't start with Paul's theology in his letters. We start with the Gospels. And Mark's Gospel was the earliest Gospel that was written, the earliest biography of Jesus. So biblical scholars normally start with Mark's Gospel. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, at least the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what is interesting, he says it's the beginning of the gospel. So it's only the beginning. And of course, this echoes Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the implication is that the good news of Jesus Christ is the beginning of a new creation. As God created the first creation, the coming of Jesus is the beginning of new creation. Because Jesus, God through Jesus, makes all things new and will make all things new. But also, it's only the beginning of the gospel of Jesus because after Jesus, through his followers, his church, the good news continues and new creation continues. And we're part of the story, the drama of King Jesus in, the, in his good news to the world that the kingdom has come. So this phrase is important, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not Jesus' name. Some people think that Christ is Jesus' surname, Alexander Fenter, Jesus Christ. No, the word Christ, Christos, is, is, is the Greek for the Hebrew Mashiach or King, Messiah. You, you would really say that this is the beginning of, of the good news about King Jesus, the Son of God. If you really want to um, do the literal English, that's, that's what it is. We have the, the Zulu king um, in KZN, and uh, we understand a little about kings and kingdoms. This is the good news of King Jesus, the Son of God. And when it says the gospel, do you understand what the word gospel means? Because it's a technical word, you know, when we ask people, what does the gospel mean? Then people sometimes think of African-American music, gospel music. I'm going to steer right under the blood. I'm going to steer right under the blood where the devil can't do me no harm. No harm, no harm, no harm. You remember that old song. But gospel is not gospel music. The word here 
in the Greek is evangelion, from which we get the word evangel and evangelist, evangelize. And evangelion, gospel, is a technical word that was used in the Greco-Roman Empire at the time of the Caesars. And the Julius Caesar, and at the time of Jesus, when he was born, Tiberius Caesar, uh, Tiberius was the king, um, the emperor of the Roman Empire. This word, Evangelion, was used of the emperors. When the emperor went from Rome to any part of the Roman Empire in the Mediterranean world, there would be heralds and messengers that ran ahead of the, of, of the emperor, the Caesar, announcing the good news, the Caesar is coming, the emperor, the king is coming. And they used to announce, on this day, Julius Caesar was born. On that day, he became the emperor. On that day, he beat up the Germanic tribes. On that day, he conquered. And it was the good news of the coming of the king to visit your town and your city. And this, the first followers of Jesus were very clever in taking words that were used in common language in the Greco-Roman Empire, Greek words, and taking the word and filling it with their own messianic meaning and reusing that word back in the spoken language so that people could understand their message in the language that they were using. So when it says the beginning of the Evangelion about King Jesus, the Son of God, Mark, is being very political. <laughs> He's saying the beginning of the Evangelion, and any person in the Roman Empire reading that word in the Greek, their ears would prick up. Ah, this is a word about Caesar. And then he says, no, it's not about Tiberius Caesar, who was alive when Jesus came on the scene. He was the, he was the emperor. This is about Emperor Jesus of Nazareth. Caesar, Jesus, King Jesus. He's, the, he's God's king, God's emperor. And he's bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, not the rule of Pax Romana, the Roman Empire. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's a very powerful word. And the son of God was a phrase, a title given to the Caesars. They, they accumulated titles to themselves like some other presidents and leaders around the world do. I won't mention who or what. But um, they, Caesar, uh, the Caesars had the title Kyrios, Lord of Lords, um, Son of God. And they were worshipped. There was emperor worship. So this opening statement is a very powerful statement. This is the beginning, only the beginning. You and I are the continuation. This is the beginning of the good news of the birth of the king. He began his ministry on this day. He drove out demons on that day. He healed the sick on that day. He raised people back to life on that day. And he died a death for our salvation. And he rose again. And he's alive, ascended into heaven. And he rules from the right hand of God. Over all things. He is the king of kings. Emperor of emperors. President of all presidents. Lord of all lords. This is the beginning of the good news. Then if you go down to verse 14. After John. This is Mark chapter 1. 14, after John was put in prison. 
Jesus went into Galilee and now he began his ministry. And he proclaiming the good news of? So if you're reading with me, what does it say? The good news of God. Now Mark changes it. This is no longer the good news of King Jesus, the Son of God, but it's the same. It's the good news of God. In other words, Jesus, the Son of God, actually is God come in human flesh. God, in Jewish thinking, God is king. But he will send his earthly king, the Mashiach, at the right time. And God is coming in Jesus as king to Israel and to the nations to bring his rule and his reign. And so then Mark gives Jesus' generic announcement of the kingdom. And it went like this. Wherever Jesus went in all the towns, villages of Israel, this was the message that he preached. He said, the time is fulfilled or the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this evangelion, this word good news, gospel, is repeated so many times by Mark in his opening chapter. He uses it again and again and again. So what was Jesus' message that he preached wherever he went through Israel? And what is the message that he gave to us, his followers, to preach? The message that he gave to us is... Um, the vineyard church has come to town. Is that the message? Did he tell us to preach about our church or to preach about the king and the kingdom? He told us to go to Stockville and say, Serepta Church is the best church. Is that, is that the message he told us to preach? Now, what, what was the message that Jesus preached? He preached the kingdom of God. He didn't preach a particular Judaism or form of Judaism or a church or his favorite topic or subject. He preached that God is becoming king and has become king in and through Jesus and his ministry. The rule and reign of God is available to people. And when he says, he starts off saying the time is fulfilled, another way of putting it, the time has come. In other words, all the Hebrew prophets are now being fulfilled. This is the climax of history. God has come among us and is becoming king. And it's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. This is Israel's great climax, a moment of destiny, because God has come as king. And the word kingdom of God is, a, is again, a phrase that we need to understand correctly. Oh, there's people up there. God bless you. Two people. There are three people. They are closer to Jesus than all the rest of us. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, but, you know, we think of the kingdom, the Zulu kingdom, uh, the, um, in um, Isiswati, the, the king and the kingdom. And it, we think of the kingdom, the United Kingdom of Great Britain, those who, who are still... You know, you know, monarchists going back to the motherland. Um, <laughs> we, the definition of kingdom generally in our minds is a place over which the king rules with borders and boundaries and a structure 
with, uh, with princes and people who rule with them. It's not the case here in the Bible. When the Bible uses the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, it is not uh, a static idea of a place over which a king rules, a, a place and a people. It's a dynamic confrontational idea of God becoming king and asserting his rule and reign over the opposition of evil. When, God, when Jesus forgives sins, Satan is defeated. When Jesus heals bodies, Satan is defeated. When Jesus drives out demons, evil's power is broken over people. The concept of the kingdom of God in the Bible is a dynamic reality of confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And evil, through Adam and Eve, has usurped authority over this present age in which we live. And Satan is called the god of this age, the prince of the air, the ruler of the, of the earth. And he, he, he rules Satan's government and the policy of his kingdom is basically sin, sickness, demons, death, pain, selfishness, racism, classism, sexism, rape, murder, violence, dictators, death. Do you see that happening? Stealing, corruption, lying, cheating, stabbing. That is the rule and reign of darkness. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, is near, he's saying the, the, the action, the power of God's rule and reign is close to you, is available. It's at your fingertips. It's within your reach. And whatever Satan, whatever evil has done in your life, now is the day when God can defeat that. God's kingship, God's rule and reign is available to you right here, right now to defeat whatever has happened in your life by the work of Satan, by the work of, of evil. And so when it says, you know, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it's a wonderful text in John. He says, for this purpose, the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? To basically declare war on evil in all its forms and to assert God's kingship over evil and defeat it and set people free into the kingdom of God. That's the message. And he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this evangelion, this good news of the king. And repent basically means metanoia, change your thinking, and believe, pastiu, means open up your heart and mind to God's wildest possibilities. Because with God, all things are possible. God is on the march. God is becoming king. God's defeating evil in all its forms. And if you open your heart and mind, to God's great possibilities, you will enter the kingdom and be set free from how evil has dominated you. Whether it's your depression, 
whether it's your anxiety, whether it's your insecurity, whether it's your inferiority, whether it's the spirit of rejection that controls you, whatever form evil has affected you, it's God's kingship is within reach. It's at hand. It's available. It's right here. And to experience it, change your thinking, put your trust in God, and ask God to set you free. That's the message. Then when Jesus announces that message, and he announced this message wherever he went all the time. So as we say in the vineyard, we must preach the king and the kingdom. That is the essential message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. And that is the main diet of church life. We are here because of the king to live his kingdom. We're not here to please one another. We're not here to keep up a tradition. We're not here just to smile and be seen. We're here for the king and his kingdom. And that's got vast implications. So when Jesus made that announcement, the very next thing that he did was this. And I must just check my time because I, I, I must bring it to a close. Zolani, I didn't even check when I started. So how much time do I have got left? Five minutes? Ten minutes? And, but I don't, I don't want to abuse the privilege of being invited. Otherwise, I might never be invited again. <laughs> I want to be invited back, so I better keep it short. But maybe another five, ten minutes? Okay. So the very next step that Jesus did, wherever he went, he preached and announced the kingdom of God and invited people into the kingdom through repentance and believing. Then he said, then he called people into his kingdom community. So if you go down to verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of people. It says fishers of men, but as um, Zolani well said, with Women's Month coming up, there were, there were a few women around there at that time. Not, not many, just a few. But um, they also entered into the kingdom, not just men, right? So inclusive language is important here. I'll make you fishers of people and not fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Now this, to close off with, this is now very, very important and very practical because it defines church. Church, as in Sarepta, actually is the community of the kingdom. It's Jesus' community. Jesus preached the kingdom and formed a community that he lived with. And that, that community of followers, disciples, became the instrument of the kingdom, of his kingdom in the world to defeat the works of Satan. The kingdom of God defines church. Church doesn't define the kingdom. Jesus immediately forms a community of followers, believers, through whom he lives the kingdom. And they become the people of the kingdom, the community of the kingdom, the witness of the kingdom, the instrument of the kingdom. We are God's instrument advancing his rule and reign in the world today to the ends of the earth. 
And the way he does it is this, the framework that Jesus has of community. Now, this is doing church or defining church from a kingdom of God understanding. He said three things. He said, come and follow me and I will form you. You know, the word there says, I will make you. But this, the word in the Greek, interestingly, you're aware that the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the Greek language in 150 BC, before Christ. And that Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is called the Septuagint. Septuagint means 70 because 70 Jewish sages in Alexandria, Egypt, in 150 BC, before Christ, translated the Hebrew Old Testament text into the Greek. And that Septuagint version was available to Jesus and the early church. So when they referred to their Hebrew scrolls, they had Hebrew scrolls and they had Greek scrolls, the Hebrew Bible. Um, so that was available. But the word, the word make here is the word form. When God you know, made Adam... In Genesis chapter 2, out of the dust of the ground, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Testament is he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. Formation. And it's the word here. So Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will form you to fish people. And because I'm a good preacher, I've got to stick to three Fs, alliteration, so that you remember. Follow, form, and fish. So let me just summarize by saying this. The way the kingdom of God and the king, Jesus, defines his community of faith, his followers, what we today call church, the way he, he defines it, what is, what is church about? What is doing church? It's very simple. It's to follow Jesus, to be formed in community in order to fish the world. Because he called fishermen, he first called fishermen, he used this phrase, I'll make you fishers of people. If he called teachers at a school, he would say, I'd make you teachers of people. If he called mothers, he would say, I will make you mothers of people. If he called engineers, I'd make you engineers of the kingdom to bring the kingdom. In other words, your life occupation becomes your kingdom vocation when you follow Jesus. God changes our life occupation into his kingdom vocation when we follow Jesus. Whatever occupies your time, full time, from Monday, if you are unemployed and you have no formal career or employment, you still have time available where that time becomes your calling in the kingdom to advance the kingdom. But doctors advance the kingdom in and through their profession. Engineers, teachers, whoever you are, whatever you do, you're called to advance the kingdom and be a witness to this world to bring the kingdom of God to people. So church has essentially got three core values, three essential elements. Intimacy with Jesus. Worship. Follow me. Formation in community. We are formed in and through community, through family, for the sake of the world, 
to fish the world. So I have a phrase that we used at home. The church that I, that my wife and I pastored before we came down to KZN uh, to slow down a bit and to be available to write more books and to also consult with churches and leaders. The last church we pastored was called Following Jesus. Because that's my life calling and my passion is to follow Jesus and make followers of him. So we, we, the phrase that we used back in that church is, we follow Jesus in community for the world. We follow Jesus in community for the sake of the world. So let me just make a few comments on that. Follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me as I follow my Father. As I am intimate with God, my Father, and close to Him, where I live in Him and He lives in me. And I'm a passionate apprentice of my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Remember, Jesus said that. If you've seen me, you've actually seen God. Because I'm so intimate with God. I follow my father with an intense passion to be like my father. Follow me as I follow my father. Intensely, passionately pursue intimacy with me so that you become like me as I am like my father. The highest value of church is to worship Jesus and become like Jesus is to passionately pursue the king and to gaze upon the king and to form your entire life around the king. Follow me as I follow my father and I will form you. As we follow, we are formed in and through community. And Jesus, the way it works is this. He, he says, this is the kingdom of God. It's available. It's at hand. And if you want to experience the kingdom, come and follow me. So then the fishermen started to follow Jesus. And as you read the story very quickly, he goes from fishermen, and then he, the next person he calls is a zealotes, Simon the zealotes. Simon the zealot were, were the liberation fighters who hated the Roman oppression, the, the Roman occupation, and they would do God a favor and cut some throats of the Roman soldiers and send them wherever they would go after that. In other words, they were the, you know, I worked in Soweto for 12 years from 1984 to 1996. So I used to use a lot of the illustrations of the days of apartheid days. And I'd say if Jesus were around in South Africa in those days and he came, he, he would say uh, to the fishermen, Come and follow me. Then he would see Umkonto Izizwe, those that were fighting for the liberation of South Africa. And he would say, Oliva Tambo Tetelebutaha Kalulu Mande. No, he would say, Oliva Tambo, follow me. And then he would go a little bit further along and after calling a, a, a freedom fighter who had holy war theology, believing they could use violence against people who are not obeying Torah and, and, and kill the enemy in God's name. Then he goes on and then he sees Matthew, the tax collector. 
And Matthew is sitting at a table with a queue of Jewish people, and there are little piles of coins on his table. He's collecting taxes. And Matthew, the tax collectors in, in Israel of that day, were the most despised Jews because they were collecting taxes for the Roman occupation to pay for the army to stay in, in Israel and oppress the Jews. And the tax collectors were such horrible people that they not only collected the taxes for the Romans, but they, you know, bishnish is bishnish. And they used to make a little bit more and pocket the difference. And they used to become a little bit wealthy because there's a word in South Africa that we've never heard about, corruption. Have you ever heard of the word corruption in South Africa? I tell you, now I must be careful because my blood, my prophetic blood starts rising. We are sick to the core in our nation because our politicians are corrupt. And this is what the devil is using to destroy this nation. Corruption. 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 Don't, don't participate in any form of corruption whatsoever. Because if you do, you're sending this nation to hell. You're participating in the devil's work to destroy not only South Africa, but the continent of Africa. Because the continent of Africa, the, the biggest issue is corruption. Everyone, everyone is on the take, on the take. You can't do anything unless you pay a little extra. It is from the pit of hell. Those people who participate in that are doing the will of Satan on earth as it is in hell. Whereas followers of Jesus are called to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. There's a little difference between the two. But I, I went off on a little tangent there talking about Matthew. Let me come back to Matthew. M Matthew, God bless you. I'm getting to you now. So then he walks past, Jesus walks past Matthew's table with a queue of people, and he says to Matthew, come, Matthew, and follow me. And Matthew looks and looks and looks, and Jesus is a moving master. He doesn't negotiate. He calls, come, follow me. And Matthew's checking, then he looks at the piles of money. He looks at the queue, he feels his pocket, he looks at Jesus. And he makes a decision and he gets up and he goes. When he follows Jesus, you could imagine Simon the Zealot, who was passionate for the purity of Torah and was willing to kill people who betrayed Torah. And here was the most despised, you know, left wing, as it were, um, Jew who sided with the Roman enemy and even collected money to keep them occupying us and oppressing us and killing us. Simon had a problem with Matthew, but really his problem was with Jesus. Jesus, how on earth can you call Matthew to follow you? I mean, it's bad enough putting up with the smell of fish. Because his first followers were all fishermen, and wherever they went there was a the smell of fish. And then... And then now Matthew, 
And there's, I can go on and illustrate, which I don't have time. I must bring it to a close. You know that Jesus called woman to follow him. And woman followed Jesus in his community. Luke chapter 8 actually describes and names some of the women who followed Jesus in his mobile community for three and a half years, which in Israel of his day was utterly scandalous because women were not allowed to learn Torah. It was only the men learned Torah in a yeshiva, a, a Torah learning school. Jesus' kingdom community would have been seen as a yeshiva, a Torah learning school with a rabbi. Jesus, but he announced himself as the king and his community more than a learning school, a discipling school. It was the kingdom community. And he called women into his community to follow him, breaking all the taboos of his day and all the male stereotypes. He provoked male prejudice and male dominance by the way he related with women and children. You remember the stories. So, Sarepta, here is the good news. Jesus has called you to follow him, and he's forming you in and through community. And the degree to which the local church called Sarepta is diverse and different in terms of race, age, class, whatever, to that degree, potentially, you have the richness of the kingdom. The degree to which a local community is homogenous, where we all, I used to say to the vineyard in 1982 in the early days, when I preached some sermons in the very early days there, I used to say, folk, look around us. We all look the same. We all smell the same. We all talk the same. And we all are white, middle-class, charismaniacs who, who live a nice lifestyle. On the side-by-side side to Soweto that is filled with pain and anger. And you see, I see, one settler, one bullet, kill the white man, kill the boy. What are we going to do? Are we going to just stay in our nice little cocoon of whiteness? Or are we going to cross the barriers and bring the kingdom to the opposite other? The way of Jesus is he brings the opposites of society together, the political, ideological opposites, the economic opposites. You know that he had a woman in Luke chapter 8 who was the wife of the manager of Herod's household who was in his community and helped to finance them because she was obviously wealthy. And Herod was a seller to the Romans, and the manager of Herod's household would be despised by Jews as a bit of a sellout. And his wife joined Jesus' community and financed him, and it was okay with Jesus. Do you know that Jesus brings people in here who provoke your prejudices? Jesus would love to mix it up in a way that we get mixed up. We have deep, unresolved stereotypes and prejudices. We have a stereotype as white middle class of the squatters. And literally, there are millions and millions of people 
60% of South Africa live below the poverty line and are in informal housing. And you know, I tell you, we know very little of the pain of what that means to be born there, live there, be raised there, and continue life there and pray, oh God, get me out of here. And if we don't go to them, God will bring them to us. Why? Because he loves us. He wants, to, he wants to disrupt our lives to teach us to love. You see, the fisherman had to learn to love the tax collector. And Simon the zealot had to not kill the tax collector, but he had to learn to love him. You only learn to love to the degree you have people that are different to you. People are all the same. You know, my, I've got Angelica, who is four years older than me, then Jürgen, one, uh, one year older than me, and then me. You know, in a family, you can, you can choose your friends, but you don't choose your sisters and brothers. They just arrive on the scene. Your mom and your dad, they wink, and the next minute there's a baby, and they didn't ask your permission to wink at each other, um, and you, you, you're there in the home, and, and, and you know how siblings can be very opposite, and how, how siblings, brothers and sisters, can irk the hell out of you in order to get the heaven into you. That's what God is about in formation. He forms us in and through community by bringing people into our lives that we are no longer just church, but we family. That's why the New Testament calls us brother and sister. I'm not just your friend. I am actually your brother. And I, I'm your blood brother bought with the blood of Jesus. We're in covenant community because of the king. And God uses the opposites to irk the hell out of you in order to get the heaven into you and teach you to love. Because by this love, I will give you, I'll give you a new commandment. Love one, love one another as I have loved you. And by this love will all people know that you are my disciples. See, Jesus is the glue who holds people together who otherwise would never stay together. Jesus is the glue of love that holds people together in genuine family who otherwise would never stay together. I salute you, Sarepta. I bless you, Sarepta, because you're in formation as God's kingdom community by the mix of the opposite others that God has brought here. Learn to love one another for the sake of Gillets, Asagai Road, Durban area, KZN, South Africa, because you're a witness of God's kingdom come that reconciles. When John in the book of Revelation saw the vision in heaven, he saw people from every tribe, every nation, all languages. They were still distinguishable or identifiable in heaven. Their race was not obliterated in the resurrection. You know, in the resurrection, you will see this face. It'll be far more handsome than it is now. Because it'll, it'll be in a resurrection body. <laughs> but you know something? We will know each other and recognize each other 
around the throne of God. And the rich diversity around the throne of God that John saw in John chapter 5 and chapter 7 is just the end picture of what we are already living on earth. Church is the prototype of God's future society already on earth. So that the world looks at us and says, that's the way to live. So I've preached three sermons in one and I need to stop. So follow Jesus to be formed in community in order to fish the world. The whole purpose of church is that, you know, William, Archbishop William uh, Temple of the previous century, Anglican Archbishop, was well known for having this phrase. He said, the church is the only organization who exists for its non-members. The church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. We are only here for those who are not yet here. To learn to reach them in order that they, may, that they may be here with us in the community of the kingdom and worship the king. If when a church no longer is outward looking to engage in the pain of the world around them, it ceases to be the church of Jesus Christ. Then it becomes a bless me club an inward-looking, incestuous bless-me bless club. So we exist to fish people for the kingdom. We are catalysts for change. We are a sign of hope in this world. You are God's instrument of salvation to all those around you, to your next-door neighbor. Let's stand. So hold your hands out in a receiving vulnerable posture before God. And I just want to say, Jesus, we honor you as head of this church. And I'm honored, Jesus, to preach in your church this morning your word. And I hope, Jesus, I've done a good job in explaining who you are and what you were about and how you did community, how you did church with your first, your first community. And I just want to Honor you, Jesus, that you bought this church with your precious blood. You bought this church, each one, with your precious, precious blood. And I honor your people, oh God. I honor your people. And I bless your people. I raise my hands as you taught us, Jesus, and I speak blessing. I say, come, Holy Spirit, upon your people. Come, Holy Spirit. And give each person a vision of the king and the kingdom. Let each person see Jesus and his kingdom in a whole new way. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. You see Jesus and his kingdom. And Holy Spirit, teach us to love. Teach us to love. The opposite other. Those that are different to us. Jesus, heal us from our own wounds and brokenness. Jesus, heal us from our fears of being overwhelmed by poverty and pain. Jesus, heal us from the stuff that holds us back. Oh, God, we ask you, please help us, Jesus. Because we can't do it in our own strength, Lord. We can't, I can't, we can't. We need you, Jesus. So I just bless Sarepta Church, Zolani, for me, I bless you, 
the eldership, the board, I bless you. All those that serve, I bless you. Let the kingdom of God come with power into this community and through this community to the areas around you. And may people come here more and more and find Jesus and the love of God and the acceptance of God and find healing and deliverance and freedom from the works of Satan in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. So as I end the prayer, I feel just immediately prompted in my mind just to say, um, was I, when I was praying this morning, I was saying, Lord, show me what you want to do specifically. And I just feel the Lord impressing on me right now by saying, um, who wants to make a commitment on the basis of what you've heard me preach this morning about the king and the kingdom? One, that you want to make a commitment that you are going to pursue the king and the kingdom in and through Sarepta community for the sake of reaching Gillett's, Esagai Road, Kloof, Hillcrest. All the people around you. And if you want to make that fresh commitment, I know many of you are already committed and have been. You've done a long obedience in the same direction, Amanda and Anne, for many years. You were in this church even before Jesus came to this church. <laughs> you and I, we came out of Noah's Ark. So I know, I know a long obedience in the same direction. But if anyone wants to make a fresh commitment before God, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Just as a symbol of commitment before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. Hold your hand up. And you're making a fresh commitment to the king and the kingdom in and through this community called Sarepta for the sake of the environment God's placed you in and the people around you. Lord, see the hearts and the hands of these people and come, Lord, and affirm their commitment in Jesus' name. Give them signs and wonders following. Give them confirmation of their commitment and their faith as they open their mind to your wildest possibilities. God, you are the God of the impossible. You can do great things, and we repent and we believe because your kingdom has come. And I bless you, Zolani and Mpumi, and I bless the eldership. Be strong and courageous and lead these people into the promised land. It's fallen to you to lead. Don't be scared. Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, Chief. We've got our in-house preacher here. His name is Trevor. He normally says, that is a story for another day. And we want to bless you. Thank you, Alexander, for sharing that. Uh, there's books at the back there, and there's a cup of tea, but family, a lot of love, and I just want to say have a blessed week and do what God has called you to do. Amen. Bye.